Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio to my left, my guy, Matt Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. It was a pretty good weekend, all in all. Can't complain. I, I'd say the same. Trust me, we're going to hop right into it. Um, typically, I would start with my mom's tip-in. My mom sent me actually a couple of them today, so that means I should be good on Thursday. But I had a separate tip-in for today, uh, only because I got this text message on Friday for uh, take that back today's monday i don't know i thought it was saturday uh sunday our typical sunday show but um got a a text message on saturday and it was from my god mom it was from my god mom saying and um she sent me a um a, a picture almost like an illustration and it was an illustration of uh dr king of dr martin luther king and she said happy birthday to dr king and i just thought it took me back to just childhood days and, and growing up in church and uh, I remember almost every January, it seems like she would get up and she would uh, give this small presentation about um, Martin Luther King Day obviously being observed on the third Monday of the of the uh, new year. And when she mentioned that, she always mentioned that a lot of people get confused and often get kind of caught up in the fact that it's a day off from work and everything in school and everything else. And whenever she said that she always said that one of the reasons why she felt that is because it was always just centralized around that that third monday and she she let everybody know that his birthday is on the 15th and we should celebrate it as such and it was just kind of cool to see her sim- still send me that text message and and as, as we often say some things never change because i definitely got that message and smile from ear to ear so that's my tip in for today happy birthday to dr king technically you should have said that two days ago but if you didn't say it two days ago happy birthday dr martin luther king i will say the one good thing that i like about uh, martin luther king day in terms of what everybody says like what we get off and things of that nature i like middle of the day basketball this was great <laughs> i just i like middle of the day basketball my pacers then gave up 140 points that's nothing new i don't know what you guys want me to say about that uh at least they scored 130 right yeah they just the other team scored more unfortunately i just trade everybody just this is why i did not want Be- this is why i didn't want becky ham in there just get rid of everybody clean <laughs> just, them all out let's go get rid of everybody <laughs> and hope for a number one pick that's where we're at that's where we're at with it, man. I'm I'm serious. DeMontis Sabonis, you don't even deserve to sit there any any longer. We we should we should send you somewhere where you can actually play for something that matters. Um, but we can hop right into it. We're actually obviously I should say we we're gonna start with the Raider news. We're gonna start with all NFL news. We're gonna switch it up a little bit. We're gonna give you guys a little dose of your your local news in this first segment when we talk about the NFL playoffs. But Super Wild Card Weekend is nearly complete. We're gonna take you up to the to just right before kickoff. For the final wild card game for Super Wild Card Weekend between the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams from SoFi Stadium, um, yeah, man, let's talk. All right, let's, let's do talk. It. Let's do it. Uh, we're gonna actually, st- ironically enough, we're gonna start with the Raiders anyway. But it just so happened that the Raiders actually started. Sorry, guys, it's my key. But the Raiders actually started Super Wild Card Weekend for 
the entire nation. And it was a great game to, 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 to catch, and you actually had that game. I, I had something coming up. What did I have? Oh, I had women's uh, basketball, the Lady Rebels, coming up at four. So you went ahead and took the Raiders game. And uh, the Raiders – I like the fact that you titled the story The Raiders Fell Short of the Divisional Round because that's exactly how I was going to intro this story. Uh, the Raiders did fall short to the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati 26-19. to Matt, give us the breakdown. Well, when looking at that game, and I always try and do this whenever I write an article, whether it's a big storyline or something that people remember the game by, whether that's a play or a player, I try to tie that into the to the headline right. or the title. And I thought, well, they fell a yard short of going to overtime and maybe even going to the divisional round. Yeah. Seems perfect enough to me. So, I mean... You look at this Raiders team, there's no question about it that they were fighting for Rich Passaccia. Mm. If they weren't, the Bengals would have stomped all over them. Hmm. So the fact that the Raiders hung tough with the Bengals, they did, I would say, enough to keep themselves in the game, but really what killed this team the most was they couldn't convert drives into touchdowns. They only had one touchdown in the whole game. It was right before halftime when I think Zay Jones caught a pass from Carr. Uh, it was like a 14-yard pass that cut a decent amount into the deficit and really kind of put the Raiders back in the conversation. Right. And then you look at it, it was a busy day for Daniel Carlson. I mean, Daniel Carlson <laughs> was out there kicking, kicking for a good time and a long time, it felt like. But just a lot of drives where the Raiders, they could do some good things between the 20s, but then they got to the red zone and they just got stopped for whatever reason. And they were walking away a lot of times with three. And you can do that a little bit in the NFL, but when you're starting to do that almost every drive and eventually the Bengals started converting some of their drives into touchdowns, Burrow and Bengal, or Burrow and Jamar Chase, I should say, had a great performance together. I think a lot of people had question marks about them going into the game, whether, you know, could Joe Burrow live up to all the hype? This is his first playoff game, only second year in the league, Jamar Chase being a rookie. It's a lot of pressure for this team. We get they just won the division. It's their first home game, or first home playoff game, I should say, in a while. I think they haven't won a playoff game since in 31, 31. years up 31 until this point. And so there was a lot of pressure, I think, for the Bengals. And I think for the Raiders – I don't know if there was much pressure at all. because, And I say that because I don't think anybody expected this team to be here. I, you know, you look at this team a month ago, they were 6-7, and seven, and people were starting to write them off going, well, it was a good run. You know, Rich Passaccia did a, just about any, everything he could. What do you kind of expect from an interim guy? I think I was one of those people. Just basically writing the season off already and kind of already looking towards the offseason. But this team didn't blink. You know, it's a, a phrase Mike Tomlin likes to use a lot, you know, when he talks about his teams not blinking. I think the Raiders didn't blink at all the last four or five weeks of the year. They they hung tough, they stayed the course, and they, they really fought for, you know, a, an interim head coach, which is a tall ask in the NFL and professional sports because sometimes you get that interim coach in there, you know, players are like, yeah, I mean, we've lost our main guy, this guy's just keeping the seat warm, not really my guy, but I didn't get that vibe at all when it came to Rich Basashi with the Raiders. And I saw the headline today that the Raiders were, I think, interviewing some, line, I think, a linebackers coach from the Patriots. And I, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, well, why hasn't they taken the interim tag off yet? Like, why wasn't that the first headline this morning? You know, Monday morning, you come into the headquarters, you know, in Henderson, 
and the news breaks that Rich Passaccia is going to, you know, you take the interim tag off. Like, that just seems appropriate, especially— Considering what just happened, did, what, what they just came off of, I should say. And to, to take it even to another level, there was a, a, a headline, or maybe it was a story, whatever it was, that came out over the weekend. After the game in Cincinnati, Rich Passaccia sat in his hotel room and hand-wrote a letter to every single player on his team thanking them for their effort and their, um, their play this season. I'm like, yeah, if this guy is not the head coach of the Raiders, you better be bringing in somebody really good to replace him because that's something you usually don't see many NFL coaches doing. Many, if if any, especially at this level. And and the interesting thing is you, you kind of already – took it a certain a certain way and I was going to try to say that for after this discussion but let's get back to the game for a brief moment only because the Raiders did end up losing by 7 points and there there's a lot of talk about this this inadvertent whistle uh from from a referee and I believe even at one point they said that it came from the stands and I think that's what's what what's making the situation look so so bad because it's it's everywhere. It's all over the place, and I think you're getting referees that where it maybe might have been in a moment of even trying to 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 defuse the situation. And I think what most people have always learned, especially in this in this uh, profession, once you say certain things, it's up to the to the public to to decipher however they and kind of break it down however they want to. I will say this one thing. I will say the question to Joe Burrow following the game if he heard a, a whistle on that play. I'm pr- first of all, the whistle may have been blown by Joe's ear. That's first of all. So that's first of all. Second of all, Joe's half smirk and him looking around the room like. What are you guys talking about? I didn't hear. I didn't hear anything. He heard something. Fam, of course he did. But I love that response. I didn't hear anything. You guys heard something? I didn't hear anything. I just, I'm, I'm gonna keep struggling too. Yeah. I don't know what that was. But as far as the the Raiders and a lot, I know a lot of people are saying where well, the Raiders were down by what th- that would have been 13 points at the time, and. As I said before, if if that and I've seen somebody actually explaining it recently, uh, if that score is taken off of the board. Now, granted, they were gonna have to replay the down, so it doesn't not it doesn't guarantee that the Bengals wouldn't have came away with any points. But let's just let's let's let's, let's play with that idea. This whistle, this inadvertent whistle, has given us this opportunity to play with this idea. What happens if the Raiders and the Bengals go into halftime tied? I think it's a different ball game at that point. I think, you know, I don't know if they would necessarily walked away with no points. I think they probably would have. At best, probably came away with three. I think that's a realistic expectation for that defense. They were already pretty well within field goal range. So, but even still, that's four points that you could save. You lose by seven. Hmm. You take four away. That's three. And then all of a sudden, you're playing for a different. I mean, you're playing now for a field goal at that point instead of a touchdown. The Raiders on that last drive were well within Daniel Carlson's range. Absolutely. That means. I mean, he makes a field goal to go to overtime. We've seen the Raiders in overtime this year quite a bit, and I mean, granted, I like the Raiders in overtime a lot. There's no tie possibility when it comes to the playoff overtime rules, but nonetheless, I think the Raiders in overtime would have been an interesting, uh, an interesting outcome to see. I I, I do agree with you. I think the Raiders probably would have squeaked it out because they just had all that momentum at the end of the game. But you're right. By the letter of the law, by the rule book, when there's even an inadvertent whistle, the play is automatically blown dead. 
the result of the play doesn't count. They have to go back and they have to replay the down. To tell you guys how minute that actually goes down to, this goes down to peewee football. This goes down to intramural <laughs> sports. This goes to anything. Like, any time that you make a mistake as an official, just re you replay the down. And you apologize to whatever side you need to apologize to, but you replay the down. Acting as if it didn't happen is probably the worst way to go about it because you have at least one complete side that's like, fam, we stopped playing. Well, and you even saw uh, when they were trying to defer if it was a touchdown or not, the the officials, they all met with each other. So it's a very – I mean, that conference should be pretty easy. So We've said this before, and I mean – I mean, all you got to say whatever, in that conference let's, let's is – all you got to say, if you're, you know, one of the officials in that, you know, I guess, mini meeting, if you will, to decide if it's a touchdown, which one of you guys blew the whistle? <laughs> because if somebody, one of them blew the whistle, whether it's inadvertent, whether it's for a purpose, it, the whistle still blew. Yeah. So as long as somebody's like, yeah, that was my bad, I get it, mistakes happen, but then, you know, you rule that as an inadvertent whistle. You say, all right, we had an inadvertent whistle on the play. We're gonna replay the down, and again, sure, one of you know, Bengals side is probably gonna be upset because they get a touchdown wiped off the board. Exactly, but they're you know, they don't lose the down, they don't lose any time off the clock. But I think at the end of the day, as long as you're going by that ruling of it's an inadvertent whistle, we'll replay the down. That's a better look on the officiating crew because then they can always just point to the rule book and say we, we went back to the letter of the law, the way the rule is written. And, and I think that's what happens whenever you, you you get into a situation like this where once you deviate away from it, like I said before, and I know it, it it's, it's going to be a false parallel because obviously one is more severe than the other, but it goes back to what I've said before in terms of uh, when we talked about uh, cops being tried for breaking the law, essentially, and we talked about my, um, my comparison was uh, a doctor, a surgeon who saves lives, and at the end of the day, if a doctor saves a life and, and, and went outside of, of, of uh, the handbook, they're praised for it. However, if they lose a patient going by that same handbook, they're, you know what I mean, they're pat on the back and they're told, you know what I mean, go about your day, there's only so much that you can do. Right. But if you lose that same patient and you go against the rule book, you lose your license. Yeah. And there's no in between. And I think that's what happens that's what happened with this one. And I think a lot of people are saying, and this is where I think it's going to sound a little contradictory, but I think this is where a lot of people are saying, see, the Raiders were screwed out of a playoff game. That's why they're not officiating any more games. No, I think they're not officiating any more games based on what I said. You did something that was not based on the rule book, and right. you don't have an answer for it. Yeah, the NFL didn't care who won that game. At all. I don't I don't and not to sound like that, but I think if they were gonna screw the Raiders, the Raiders would have to get a lot further to get screwed. Yeah. You're not gonna do it in a wild card game. Do it in like a uh No disrespect, but they may do it in a wild card game, just not against Cincinnati. Yeah. Do it against somebody I don't know, if it was the Chiefs, for instance. If Brady was still in the AFC. Yeah. Like if if, if it's one of those situations. Then you could be then that argument, sure, because whether you're playing the favoritism towards Brady or Mahomes or whatever, the NFL doesn't care who wins Cincinnati versus the Raiders because they know that it doesn't involve Kansas City, it doesn't involve Brady, it doesn't involve Rodgers and the Packers, it doesn't involve any of the big names. They're like, well, one of these two teams is probably going to lose anyways. Even if they win and they advance, they're not getting all that far, so why do we care? And I want to go ahead and let the league know, and I'm sure that the league is probably being beat over the head with it right now, but I seen Marcus Spears tweeted yesterday, and I absolutely thought about it. 
I've said this before, and I did not think that his rookie season was going to end in injury. But I said that year number two was going to be the one to watch for Joe Burrow. You want to talk underdogs? I think this team could go pretty far. And I would like to to not jump out and give you guys my answers for everything right now. But if today, 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 if anybody went outside and told you that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to the Super Bowl, I'm not sure so many people disagree. I probably would. You would disagree? That they're going to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Why? I don't think they have what it takes to get there. On what end? Primarily offense. You don't think that they'll be able to put up points with with Buffalo and uh, Kansas City, I'm guessing, right? That. And you even look at who they play next. They're playing Tennessee. I'm aware. On the road. I mean, who's to say that that Cincinnati defense isn't going to get beat around by Derrick Henry, who's coming back? Who's to say that Derrick Henry isn't going to get beat around by that defense because he's coming back? It's a decent point, but you also look at it. Cincinnati's strength on offense is their passing game. Yeah. When you go on the road in the playoffs, you got to have to have a little bit of a running game. They have Joe Mixon. So, I mean, it's not like they have a running back that can't do it. I mean, and for whatever it's worth, we talked about Buffalo and their ability to run the ball, I guess, or not even inability, but their their choice and their decision to not run the ball and rely so much on, on Josh Allen. You've seen even in a, in, a, in a game that was literally what we expected it to be in terms of uh, the temperature-wise. You, you have Devin Singletary who, who goes out and gives you 81 yards on the ground. But Josh Allen still throws for over 300 yards, and I think that's that's what's so interesting. And I think where I'm at with it now, of course, I'm 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 testing the waters in terms of this hot take by saying what I'm saying about Cincinnati. However, when I look at those two teams in terms of Buffalo and Kansas City, I'm not sure that. First of all, you talk about teams that were happy to be there. It looked like the Pittsburgh offense was happy to be there. They were so at least for the first half. So yeah. I say that to say the defense were on their heels pretty early in the game. It's it's kind of hard to stop Patrick Mahomes if it's already going downhill. And I think in terms of Buffalo, the other side is being led by a, a rookie quarterback. And I think that's – and I know Joe Burrow is only in his second year, but he is just that. He's in his second year and he's not in his rookie year. So I just don't think that it would be – as big of a of, of of an upset now, I think mainly because a team is only going to go as far as their quarterback goes, right? <laughs> and I think right now, and this is why the 49ers look so scary, because I think when you when you look at a team who their defense is their defense is a conglomerate. And I think that's what kind of makes the Cincinnati defense so dangerous more than anything because you don't really know where the 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 playmaker will be today and I think that kind of can be an issue when you're looking at quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes who have shown that they will take uh risk obviously where they see it so um we kind of already just gave away the next game but the next game was Buffalo against uh the New England Patriots and Buffalo came away with a 47 to 17 lead and or 17 win rather and the interesting thing was about this game we all kind of expected i think except did you pick new england i did i was about to say you might have been the only one that picked new england but 
the the one thing that I can't speak for everybody else, but I, I did say Mac Jones was going to make a mistake, and I felt like Josh Allen wasn't. That's what I said. Now, got a couple of things to to piggyback off of that. A, I didn't know Mac Jones would make a mistake first drive. And B, and this is going to sound contradictory, but when I said that Josh Allen wasn't going to make a mistake, I didn't expect for him to be nearly perfect. So I'm hoping that that makes sense. Matt is not in his head, so I'll take that as I'm making sense. That said, how many more perfect performances is Josh Allen going to give you this postseason? I think he's looking down his last performance of the postseason this this weekend. I, I don't see how Buffalo gets past Kansas City. And I, I get that there is a lot of hype around Buffalo. Um, you could say that their stock's really high right now. That's probably – I wouldn't argue that. I mean, they just took apart the, the Patriots. But they did exactly that. They took apart a Patriots defense that the first seven drives of the game gave up touchdowns on every single one of them. A Patriots team that had a rookie quarterback in the playoffs for the first time. Since 98. Playing in arguably the coldest game he's ever played in with Mac Jones. It was, I think, one of the coldest games in Patriots history. And the Patriots just looked disinterested from the almost the jump. And it felt like once that long interception happened that I think it was Mac Jones's first interception that he threw. Uh, I want to say it was seven or 14. Oh, at that time, Buffalo, right. it felt like once that happened, the the game was kind of over at that point. You, you could kind of sense where that game was going. I think now you walk into Arrowhead. If you're Buffalo, you're playing a whole new animal. You're playing. Mahomes. Confidence level was through the roof though. You're playing. Well, same could be said for Mahomes and the Chiefs. I'm talking about my confidence. If I'm Buffalo, I'm not worried about theirs. I'm just talking about mine. That's that's true. They probably feel amazing right now. That's not the point. But I do think you're playing now Kansas City on the road in the playoffs. We all know Kansas City doesn't mess around in the playoffs. You yeah. might catch them on the, in the regular season, but as soon as the games that matter matter, Patrick Mahomes turns it on, and Andy Reid <laughs> turns it on, and that whole team just turns they, they flip a switch. They did it last night to the Steelers. There was a lot of people that thought that game was going to be close. That you know, well, Pittsburgh might hang around, and Patrick Mahomes is like, "Nah, we we played this once already this season. We saw the outcome. Let's just run it back for part two. And I think it's it's a close game between those two teams, Buffalo and Kansas City. Right now, I'd probably give the nod to Kansas City by a field goal. And the interesting part is, I thought this game was going to be more close. I thought Kansas City would win, and. Uh, I thought it would actually even be a decently scoring game in terms of uh, Kansas City on the other end. But I thought that Kansas City would win by by eight points-ish, um, mainly because I felt like Pittsburgh was going – their offense, I should say, was going to put up more of a fight considering that I'm pretty sure that that was Ben Roethlisberger's final game as a Pittsburgh Steeler. We're, we're pretty much all but, but, but confirmed that. We've pretty much all but confirmed that, rather. But I do have breaking news for you guys. If you guys are watching on – uh, Facebook Live, we actually, my eyes just got big and I looked at my phone and I turned my phone upside down because I remember earlier this season we discussed, um, and this may have been kind of to start the season, but this may have been around week three or week four, and we discussed uh, if the Raiders were, had to be week four with the first loss, because we, we discussed if the Raiders uh, didn't make the postseason this year or didn't have that, that, that great of a season, 
uh, would John Gruden be brought back? And I know I may have shocked a lot of people, but I said John Gruden is coming back because he has a 10-year deal, and there's no way in hell they're letting him walk after year three or four, whatever it was. I said Gruden would at least get to year seven. I was wrong, guys. Uh, but not for football reasons, interestingly enough. Um, but I did say that uh, barring the Raiders making an AFC championship or something this year, that seat was getting extremely hot under general manager Mike Mayock. It must have been blazing because general manager Mike Mayock, after three seasons, has been relieved of his duties as general manager of the wow. Las Vegas Raiders. That's wow. I mean, that that's that is a breaking story. That's not something I saw coming. You know, a lot of these things, you know, whether it's a head coach or general manager, you look at the team and you go, well. You kind of saw that one coming, you know. But this one, I mean, the team made the playoffs. It's a pretty well-constructed roster. I didn't see this one coming. I, I thought, you know, because of the success this year. But I also don't necessarily disagree with the move because I can see where Mark Davis is coming from with this. And I say that because we kind of just touched on it in a brighter light. You have an interim head coach right now. Right. If you were going to make a switch in the front office, this is the perfect time for it. Are you ready for me to throw something at a fan and watch it go everywhere? Sure. I believe that this decision was made in week six. I don't disagree with that. With all the talk about what John Gruden did and everything and things of that nature and everybody trying to figure out if Derek Carr was John Gruden's guy and trying to figure out and assuming that Amari uh, Cooper, almost someone said another name, but Amari Cooper and uh, Khalil Mack obviously weren't his guy. Mike Mayock came in with John Gruden. Yeah. Mike Mayock was John's guy. Ta-da. You yeah. got to go too. Yeah. Only reason why I didn't fire you in week six is because we're already dealing with too much. The reason why I didn't fire you in week seven is because Henry Ruggs happened. The reason why I didn't fire you in week eight is because Damon Arnett happened. You know what? <laughs> Just sit there. I was going to say, but with, between all the storylines, he, he couldn't find a week to fire him. He's like, well, okay. Come <laughs> the, first, the first day, the first weekday following our season, we're going to have a little chat. Right. I, think, I think Mark Davis made this, made, made this decision three months ago. And it was just waiting. You gotta go. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it, I hope they bring in somebody good, or at least better than Mayock. Not to say that Mayock wasn't good, but you know, obviously there was probably a lot of frustrations behind closed doors. Maybe it was between Mark Davis and Mike Mayock, whatever the case may have been. But I think the Raiders, the where, where they're at right now, is kind of a ideal situation if you're going to fire somebody within the front office like a general manager because like i said you've got an interim head coach so if you don't love the interim head coach it's no blood no foul essentially because you can just say well this is kind of like a mini rebuild in a sense not so much a full rebuild but a small part of it this could be the worst possible thing for the main person that you just said head coach rich but interim head coach rich basaccia he now is going to be in limbo for unless, unless, unless he takes another job elsewhere. The reason why I say that is now the Raiders have put them. To, and I, I guess I shouldn't tell Mark Davis how to do his job. Right. But this is the way that I see it. The Raiders now 
aren't even going to be able to 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 bring along a situation where the general manager comes in and you present, hey, we have Derek Carr on this deal. Hey, we have this on the defensive side of the ball. Hey, you, this guy is leading your group. Now you're bringing in somebody saying, hey, well, do you have any connections to anybody else? Do you want to bring them in possibly as your guy? Do you have another blank in mind? Do you have all of these different things? What image and what what what? What image is, is Rich Basachi supposed to have in his head when he's probably going to watch for the next two weeks you bring in guys to replace him? Can I throw something else at a fan? Have at it. I think if Mark Davis is serious about having Rich Basachia lead the, lead the team and be the head coach permanently, he makes that announcement tomorrow. He says, yeah, he's I, the head coach. Mm-hmm. I think and he, that's where my mistake is. I think the mistake should have been before you fired the general manager. That's just my personal opinion because it looks like – granted, I don't know what anybody else is looking for in terms of, of, of general manager uh, hierarchy in terms of uh, who wants which job. However, I would just assume that it already – you're no disrespect, but the franchise already doesn't look like a hot commodity to want, that people are going to rush to anyway. You have a lot of people talking about what the Giants are doing still because everybody's gone. In the giant organization now. So aside from the ownership that you have to deal with, if you get the right football minds in there, who knows what can happen? People are saying Chicago is a is a hot spot right now. There's a lot of different hot Miami. There's a lot of different spots that people would consider hot tickets before Vegas. And I understand that Vegas just made the postseason, but look at where Vegas has been. So, well, I shouldn't say Vegas, right? Because Vegas is new to this. But let's let's look at where the Raider franchise has been over the last decade or so. The only good you can really point to is Derek Carr, by the way. In, in terms of even when they play well, it's Derek Carr, by the way. But um, I, I bring up all of this to say, if they go ahead and 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 name him the general or name him the head coach tomorrow, how much is he involved in a general manager search? I think he has to be. Then is he? In, then now, are you putting him in a position to make a decision for something that is probably above his pay grade? Probably. Do you and, see why I said it makes no sense? But in that same light, if Mark Davis is going to name Rich Pasachi the full, the permanent head coach, you could say that Mark Davis, to a degree, is stepping outside of his job description. So, I mean, if you're going to step out of one, you got to imagine other positions are going to do the same to, you know, obviously compensate for that. But you look at it, and I don't think Vegas can afford to miss on this. And They I, can't. They cannot miss on this hire. They have to get it right. And and they have to do it the right way. Like, I think that's what's not getting getting talked about, and that's kind of where I, I, I guess it kind of got lost in translation when it came to the Rich Passaccia point, but that's what I mean. For instance, um, this is driving me up a wall – um, can you Google on your phone really quick the general manager for the Detroit Lions? Because Dan Campbell and whoever the general manager for the Detroit Lions is, they have mended whatever issue there was with Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson tweeted this last uh, this past week, and I sh- this should have been a that's out there now, but he tweeted back in the Lions den. And he tweeted he was just in some regular clothes, but he was in – a team facility. Brad Holmes is the GM for the Lions. Brad Holmes, thank you. Yep. So Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are making the effort to go back and fix past mistakes when they weren't even here. 
They weren't in Detroit when they made these mistakes. When Dan Campbell came in, I told you, and we talked about it when he let Matthew Stafford walk, he asked him two questions. Where do you want to go? And how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? And Matthew Stafford answered both of those questions. However, this is what this is another example of that correcting a wrong because somebody had quoted it and said, uh, "This is great by General Manager Brad Holmes and Head Coach Dan Campbell because this is how you you right a wrong or something like that." But he was like, "Go back from the very beginning and correct all of those mistakes." And I was laughing and I was looking at the tweet and I said, you know, what's funny. This is why people who aren't in the sports look at sports fanatics and say, why are you guys into it? Because I believe it. I I solely believe things like that. The Detroit Lions were not going to have anything productive until they fixed that situation. I know this may be a hot take, but I've said this before. Until UNLV fixes whatever issue it has with Larry Johnson and some of those players from that national championship team, sports has proven itself to be so. The basketball guys don't like what the Clippers did to Blake Griffin. No. The basketball guys don't like what Boston did to Isaiah Thomas. You have to fix those things. I would say from a UNLV standpoint, it's more so – Football and men's basketball that's really felt the wrath. Who did they piss off in football? They must have. They this must happened have, a long time ago. They must have did something because football has either gotten oh gosh. carryover from men's basketball or something. But it's something. Just jinx the whole campus then? Just jinx the main two sports? Just the main two sports. There, there are Because like, volleyball is great. Golf is great. Tennis is great. Even the Lady Rebels. We've been, Lady Rebels are great. Good point. Um. So, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, those two sports got <laughs> almighty cursed. But. When it comes to the Raiders and this news, if there's actually one person, I'd actually be a little more concerned than Rich Basaccia. Is that Derek Carr? I think it's Derek Carr because all it takes is a I'm going to throw my headphones. Because I think if you get a general manager in there that's like, yeah, no, I don't like what Carr brings to the team. The guy is mistake prone, whatever the case may be. Who are you going to go get? Jimmy G? I'm just, hey, I'm just putting it I'm out asking there. a question. I, 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 Carson Wentz? Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, God, no. I'm going to just throw some names out there. I would take. I, I would entertain the idea of Jimmy G. I would entertain none of those three that I just named. Well, first, I would probably think about t- keeping Derek Carr. Person, <laughs> if I was a general manager, I'm not sure I would move Derek Carr. Because you're smart. But I'm not moving Derek Carr until I get somebody better than him. But Period. But we've, all, we've seen this before, right? We're a guy that is solid that, you know, I guess for the most part does a pretty okay job, whether that be a quarterback, a a coach, whatever it may be. You get somebody above them that comes in and doesn't like them for whatever reason. You want Sam Darnold? Oh, please, no. No, no. You want Cam Newton? No. Want to trade for Kirk Cousins? No. What are we doing here? You want Andy Dalton? Nope. If Derek Carr is no longer a Raider, the Raiders win like six games next week, next year. Six? Ah, that's me being nice. I was about to say. It, I mean, the, num- it, might, it might be Marcus Mariota, and I think his legs can win you three games. I give him four. <laughs> and I'd have to look at the schedule. It may even be less than that. 
Let's move on. I'll tell you who's not winning four games, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were were heavy favorites, obviously, going into this game. We all anticipated that they would walk away or run away with this game, and that's exactly what they did. Um, 31 to 15 is a final. I'm not sure if we're supposed to break this down out well more than saying the the Jalen Hurts story this season is the fact that he took them here, right? Yeah. The, you want to talk about a team that was happy to be here? Yeah. The, the Eagles were very happy to be in the playoffs, given where they were sitting at earlier <laughs> in the year. Not to mention that they get bounced in the same round and same day as a division leader. <laughs> or the division winner, I should say. Let's go ahead and go to that next game. And let's let's let me address this now because I'm I'm a, I'm a sound off real quick, and I swear I'm getting out of here. Um, I should have picked the Niners, and I knew it. I picked this game with my heart. I did because I told you guys how I feel about Niner fans, and this is why because what's happening today. And what we're hearing today, these are the reasons why Niner fans get on my nerves and why I think that they are truthfully the worst fans to ever walk this planet. Um, but the, the issue that I have with this game, I, I said, and this is where the Cowboys make me sound crazy, I, I just said last week that I understand that offenses don't translate in the postseason, right? And then I said that the Cowboys offense would. And then the Cowboys proceeded to give us seven points for a vast majority of the game. In addition to that, this is how you guys, if you guys were paying attention to me, you guys should know that I knew that something was wrong because I said that Debo Samuel was going to do whatever he wanted. That he did. And that he did. (laughs) So even with Jimmy Garoppolo's best effort to give the game away, it still appears that the Cowboys didn't want it. Um, We can discuss this last play if you want to. Um, I don't know, and I have an angle that I'm going to take this afterwards because, of course, uh, I, I would assume we've been taught that at a young age. <laughs> we've been coached that, and I even seen Gabe McCoy, shot to uh, former UNLV football captain Gabe McCoy. He tweeted that um, you got to be better. He said, um, he said you got to coach that. He said uh, the ref has to. You have to know to give the ref the ball so he can so he can uh, spot it, and. Just watching that game, and and I had a a, lot, a a couple of ebbs and flows of emotion, and I called my dad after the game, and I don't know if you guys uh, remember how me and my family treat playoff losses, but everybody's a little different, but I give everybody a, their little bit of time, and I called my dad afterwards, and I mean, considering everything he's been through as a Cowboy fan, he he had his his um, quick quick response where he was kind of like, you know what I mean? It, it kind of is what it is at this point, and. I told him once he got that out, I, I let it go. And I told him, I said, this is not me rubbing it in by no means. But I said, this is exactly what I meant when I said that Aaron Rodgers won in spite of Mike McCarthy. I'm glad you brought up that name, by the way. I'm really glad you brought it up. I told my dad on Thanksgiving Day. On Thanksgiving Day, when the Raiders came in. And I was shocked because I was saying the whole week leading up to it that the Raiders were the most penalized team. And I don't know what shit that the week before, but when I came in th- or when they came in Thanksgiving Day and I was covering the game, they said that the Raiders were the second most penalized team. And I said, something's not right. So I pull out my computer, I start typing, and before I could even get anything out, they said the Cowboys are the most penalized team. I look up and I go, okay. And then we see how that game played out. 
penalties cost the Cowboys that game. I told my dad, you win that game, you're the number two seed. You're not even playing Frisco. I told my dad, and then you get to the biggest game of the season and you guys show that you are undisciplined. I told my dad, and then you know what happens in that moment when I realize you guys are undisciplined? I think back to everything that Mike McCarthy did during Hard Knocks. And we saw it then. I know the best part for me in terms of that hard knocks, and everybody else looked at me like I was retarded, and I probably got to bleep that out, but I truthfully felt like the one positive thing that he did was the mojo moments. Everybody else looked at me like I was corny, and they were like, that's not going to motivate a room full of men. I don't know that it's not. I know everything else he was doing wasn't. And a lot of people aren't going to think back to Hard Knocks. But it's those moments that he gave you. Mm, you talk about happy to be here. Aaron Rodgers set the, the game of football past Mike McCarthy up. Mike McCarthy was out of football until the Cowboys came calling. And now here we are after another playoff loss and we're questioning if football has passed Mike McCarthy. Dallas got to figure it out now. I don't care. I mean, it's gotten to the point where why hasn't the headline come out that Mike McCarthy has been fired? I'm happy that you said that because I told my dad the one thing that I would say is to not – and this is going to be a funny conversation because I told him this is the, the one thing to, to not do – in terms of this one was you don't want to ruin whatever relationship you have with Dak because at the end of the day, you don't want to bring in another guy who's going to have to learn Dak and Dak's going to have to learn him. And I said, because Dak has already gotten paid. So now Dak can pull any quarterback's mo uh, any quarterback's card and say, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and if Dak does that, the Cowboys are in trouble if he does that. So I told my dad the best case for him is that he has an owner that doesn't care. If he feels like there's a different guy out there that can get the most out of Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, you're gone. I don't have time to wait. <laughs> I, and that's just where I'm at with it. So me and my dad got to throw in two names around. Sorry, Frisco. I know you guys thought this was your moment. So apologize. Um, there's two names that my dad threw out there. And the first one was Kellen Moore. And I told my dad two things bother me about Kellen Moore. The fact that he, he would be a first-time head coach and as much as Dak Prescott would have to do it in the rest of the team, Jerry would have to adapt. And Jerry would have to deal with first-time blunders. Jerry would have to deal with him learning how to manage a full team. Jerry would have to deal with all of that. Similar to what I just said, I don't know if Jerry wants to wait. Hence the second name. My dad mentioned Dan Quinn. I looked at my dad and I said, at least you know for a fact Dan Quinn is a leader of men. At least you know that for a fact. I said, if that's the case, I said, and here's a, again where having Jerry Jones as an owner is the best possible thing for Dallas because I think if you do that, you go to Dan Quinn and you say, hey, we want to make you the head coach. You have the experience to do so, whatever the case may be. Hell, we may even want you to groom Kellen Moore, da-da-da-da, whatever the case may be. 
I told my dad, I don't know if Kellen Moore is the highest paid offensive coordinator in the league right now, but he would be when I'm done with him. Because you have to give Kellen Moore something to convince him not to leave Dallas. And I told my dad, you know what's crazy? I don't. I haven't done my numbers on it. If anybody wants to tell me that I'm crazy with these numbers, I'm fine with that. I'll take it. If Kellen Moore was still getting ready to walk out the door, I would make Kellen Moore the highest paid offensive coordinator in NFL history. If you feel like your window is now, that's what you do. You have to take it. And I think that might be the better, a better case scenario because you can look at Dan Quinn and say, even as the owner in Jerry Jones, and say, don't touch the offense. I'm paying him that for a reason. You are a defensive mind. You leave him alone. I think that's the Cowboys' best bet. I think as long as Mike McCarthy is there, there is no safe bet. You want a really long shot name? I think I know it. Does it start with a T? Um, what what part of his name are you thinking of? First name. Nope. Hmm. Interesting. Go. Mike Tomlin. You think he would leave Pittsburgh? If he was going to ever leave, isn't this the perfect time for it? You're mm. losing your franchise guy. You, I have one, one, one caveat for you. You really want to coach that quarterback room? <laughs> the quarterback of Dwayne Haskins, Mason Rudolph. I mean, we're – So I know this is going to be a lot in terms of movement. What if only one of those guys are there and they're not the main guy? I think Mike Tomlin may have built a, a reputation in Pittsburgh to where he can get a star quarterback to want to come play for him. So who do you bring that star quarterback? Who, who, who do you think it is then? I don't want to talk about it. Is it A-Rod? I don't want to talk about it. Because the two names that, if you're going to say franchise guy. I don't want to talk about it. There's only two guys that come to mind when it comes to Pittsburgh that I could say, okay. I don't want to talk about it. One is A-Rod. The other is the guy we just talked about a couple minutes ago. Derek Carr is, I don't think Derek Carr is going to Pittsburgh. The other one I don't want to talk about. Let's move on. But let's move on. I'm just saying, if Mike Tomlin wanted to leave Pittsburgh, yeah, this would be the year to do it. And if Jerry Jones calls him up and says, "We all we need is a head coach. We've got the roster. You want to give Mike Tomlin, Dak Prescott, Zeke that receiving core in an up and coming defense? Where does Dan Quinn go? Because that's you're bringing in two strong willed. Defensive minds, what happens if they butt heads? I think you give the edge to Tomlin. You would have to, just yeah. in terms of what they've done. But, I mean, the, the the defense likes Dan. He's even coached games for them this year when, when Mike was out. So, I mean, it's just – I think the same issue that we're having excuse me, here in Vegas with Rich Basaccia, I think – uh, every team around the league can point to at least one coach and say, you get rid of this, the guys might, you know what I mean, react a little different, whether it's a linebacker coach, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach. We never know exactly uh, what position it may be. But I, I truthfully think that uh, that that defense, I don't know, man. I, I guess when you have Mike Tomlin, there's it's nothing really to, to think about. But maybe you should think about it. 
I think it, if nothing else, for Jerry Jones, it's worth a phone call. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm calling everybody. I'm calling Dion. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm making I'm making everybody available right now. Can you imagine? Well, I don't know if Dion would take it, but could you I don't imagine? Think Not now. Could you imagine that headline? It would truthfully <laughs> steal headlines, and it wouldn't shock me. I don't think Dion skips an opportunity to coach collegiate, collegiate football. That's just me, Division One, I, I should say. Right. But um, I, I think he gets to the NFL eventually. Yeah. I'm not sure that Jerry Jones isn't the one who eventually called him. I just don't think it's now. No. Um, my like my dad said, their best bet may have been Lincoln Riley, and him going to USC may have kind of held everything down uh, and slowed everything down. I should say. Uh, and then this last game was a 21-point victory for the Kansas City Chiefs over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, ben Roethlisberger, I know I, I keep saying this, and this is probably going to sound nuts to you guys, but the fact that Ben Roethlisberger threw those two touchdowns late in that game, of that blowout game, um, <laughs> I know the fans in this city are going to be so upset that I keep naming players like this, and, I, and I, I've been right the past two seasons, and if it happens again – I know they're going to be upset. But the Indianapolis Colts have said that they are a quarterback away for about five seasons. You had Andrew Luck and Jacoby Brissett for the first two of those. Then I said they would go out and get Phillip Rivers because all that he needs essentially, or he all that he needed at the time, was everything else around him. And then you kind of just drag and drop Phillip Rivers in that offense and I think they got a bad shake by getting Buffalo, I believe, in that in that first round postseason game. Um, and now you get to this season, and I said Frank Wright and, and Carson Wentz, they have a relationship. This is the only thing that makes sense. And now you get to this season. I think for the third consecutive season, the Indianapolis Colts are going to pull a Denver Bronco move, and they're going to go get Ben Roethlisberger. The issue that I think I'm having is this one might pay off. You can go ahead. I'm not sure Ben wants it. I think Ben might be perfectly fine with staying retired. And if he were to come back in a playing role, I th- I don't doubt that it, you know the Colts would give him a call, but I think it would be something like midseason – hey, we need you to fill in for a couple games here. Because I don't know if Ben wants to commit for a full season compared to I'm with you on that. we just need, hey, we just need you for two or three games here and there. Our star guy went down. You know, we can sign you on a minimum deal, whatever the case may be. Um, that makes a little bit of sense. but This is going to sound really disrespectful when I'm getting ready to say. What's that? I don't think I mean it to be disrespectful, but it's going to sound very, very bad. Very, very bad. You mean like a Cam Newton type situation? That's not the disrespectful part. The glorified Cam Newton, yeah. Okay, so Cam's shoulder, as much as I I hate to say it, you try not to use the word shot, but Cam's shoulder is appears to be on his last leg. I say that to say the reason why Cam Newton is still playing football today is because Cam Newton is in incredible shape. You see where I'm going? I don't think Ben Roethlisberger's arms are shot. I don't. I understand what he went through with that elbow. You don't see quarter or pitchers come back after Tommy John surgery and excel that first year unless they're Cliff Lee. Remember Cliff Lee? Insane. No. 
You don't remember Cliff Lee? I don't. Oh, wow. We're going to have to go down memory lane after the show. Um, But I think if you take Ben Roethlisberger and you – and I understand he's a vet. And this is where I said it's going to sound disrespectful. If you take him away from those from that environment, has Ben Roethlisberger showed you that he's going to work by himself? I don't mean football drills. I mean everything else. Maybe find something he wants to do. Broadcasting, maybe. If he does that, I'm not giving Ben Roethlisberger a call. That's just me. If Ben Roethlisberger steps away from not only football, but football-related activities, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be in no shape to play football. No. Sorry. So I think if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't want to commit full-time to one of those situations... He better stay in the gym. Because I will say, if he goes to a Pittsburgh, or I don't want to wish injury on anybody, but let's say he he goes to a Pittsburgh. Hell, let's say Houston wants to bring in somebody and just kind of ride this out with us. They're going to be a lot less forgiving than everybody was in Pittsburgh because you stunk in Pittsburgh for a little bit and they still rooting for you. This new city? will have no indication to do so. You don't want the next city to feel like they're getting a shell of a Hall of Famer. Because that's what Denver got. Mm-hmm. And Denver was pretty upset until they held up that, until they hoisted that Lombardi trophy and then all was forgiven. Ask a Pittsburgh, or excuse me, ask a Denver Bronco fan now about Peyton Manning when he was there. Following that first season, he stunk. It's just bad. We don't know what happened. It happens to the best of us. I don't want our, our memory of Ben Roethlisberger, excuse me, of Ben Roethlisberger to fade away. That's why I truthfully think he gives it one more shot, one other place, one season, and then Ben Roethlisberger rides off into the sunset. Um, if he ends his career right now, I don't think anybody's gonna look at this final game and say, "Oh, well, you, you know, I mean, you put up twenty-one points, great, but I mean." Your defense couldn't do anything with Patrick Mahomes and company. Final game is going to take place, like I said, right about the time that we're done with you guys. So in about a little bit over an hour, uh, we have the Arizona Cardinals at the L.A. Rams. Just to give you guys a quick little update, well, we have our pick'em league still going for uh, for the playoffs. And we're doing winners and spread this particular time. So you get a point for uh, picking a winner. You get a point for picking the correct, uh, the correct spread Excuse me, without going over. So you have a max of two points. Obviously, if you get the team wrong in terms of who won, doesn't even matter about the point spread. You lost the point, so you get zero. I, I will say this is pretty interesting because we have one wild card matchup left, and we're going to keep these uh, one four and two three seeded matchups until the the Super Bowl. So we have two more weeks of this following tonight's uh, matchup. But I'm the one seed currently playing against the number four seed, Daryl. And Daryl, out of the five matchups so far, he's picked the team right and the spread right three different times. So he has six points. I have four. I've I've guessed the team right three times, and I've guessed the point spread right one of those times. Shout out to Buffalo because I picked Buffalo by, what was it, six, whatever it was. And I think I might have picked them by three, and Daryl picked them by four. Said he could have picked them by thirty. It wouldn't have mattered. My point, it, but see, it wasn't going to matter because if I picked them by eleven, Daryl was going to pick them by twelve. Right. So it didn't matter. So <laughs> I, I, I technically, I feel like I should get that one, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, it. It's literally the price is right. 
like it's it's one of those moments where you just stare and you're just like, fam, really word. I said twelve hundred. You gonna say twelve hundred one? Why? <laughs> Why? And now and now you're upset because the moment you hear eighteen, you're ready to throw everything. You're just like, fam. All right. Anyway, uh, in the second matchup, you currently you have you have guessed the teams correctly three times out of the five. You've guessed the point spread right two times out of those three. In addition to that, Salim has guessed the team right twice, guessed the point spread right both of those times. Salim is currently down five to four to you, and I'm down six to four to Daryl. This is interesting. Um, Next year, I expect this to be fun, a, a lot, a lot more fun. Cause this is fun. This the, is a fun yeah, format. this has been insane. I like it. This has been insane, and and uh, all I'm gonna say is I have the Rams tonight. But what did I say in the group? I think three, right? I think I said three. What did I say in the group? I'm gonna check it live right now. I said Rams by six. Salim Ooh. said Rams by three. <clears throat> Yes, that was me grunting because I promised you guys if the game was in Arizona, I'm taking Arizona, even with their injuries. I understand that J.J. Watt is coming back. I don't know how what type of shape he's going to be in. I know that he's a hard worker, but kind of hard to overcome no D-hop. Well, and they've got questions at the running back spot. Who's in, who's out? Not to mention that. James Conner has been dealing with injuries, too. James Conner's questionable. I think even the guy behind him is questionable. Can't think of the name. Chase of Edmonds. Well, Chase starts. I think, and that's even worse if he's I, if he's. I, I've heard he's dealing with injuries. Yeah. So this is a tough game. I mean, I see this a field goal game one way or the other. It's hard to argue with the Cardinals and Kingsbury on the road this year. Particularly, they've mm-hmm. been pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just went to Dallas and beat Dallas. Rather convincingly. Do you count that? Kyler Murray in AT&T Stadium is just unfair. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, Hasn't lost a game there in like, what, like nine nine organized games dating back to high school? This is insane. This includes college ball games, guys. He has never lost in AT&T Stadium. Um, where whole, are you going? I'm leaning Rams. You got to hit the group too, by the way. You, so I you're know. leaning Rams. My one concern is Matt Stafford. Why? Because I have an answer for you, I think. I think if the Rams can win, Matt Stafford can have one WTF throw. Hmm. If he has more than that, we're in trouble. You know what I think? And I'm going to be completely honest. I think everybody has forgotten the fact that Sonny Michelle plays running back for the L.A. Rams. And I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to come into this game trying to obviously, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but they're obviously going to try to come in and keep Cooper Cup from from doing too much damage. They're going to try to keep Odell Beckham Jr. from too, from doing too much damage. They're going to keep Van Jefferson from trying to do too much damage. And I think Sony Michelle is going to go insane tonight. I think he's going to go crazy. I don't know if I disagree with that. I truthfully think so. I'm thinking the Rams win tonight's game. I don't know what happens next. Especially going to go see Batman Brady, but I don't like it, man. And we'll we'll talk about all these other matchups, Cincinnati, Tennessee. What else do we have? Uh, Buffalo, KC, uh-huh. San Francisco, Green Bay, and obviously the winner of tonight's matchup against Tampa Bay. We'll talk about that on Thursday before the divisional round. Uh, my dad's tip in today. Let's see what we got. Okay, cool. 
My dad's tip in the day is on the NFL playoff schedule. He said, I know the new playoff format started this year. Yeah, no, it started this year. So um, he knows that the uh, new playoff format started this year. Uh, he said, but this, uh, but these matchups are exciting. He said, even though my team's hopeful deep playoff run fell, uh, fell by the way, or excuse me, he said fell way, way short. He said, but I'm over it already. He said, I'm an old school Dallas Cowboy fan, so disappointment in the regular season or playoffs is no stranger. That sounds very, very, very traumatic. Um, he said, but anyway, back to his tip. And he said, I personally don't agree with a lot of people, or excuse me, with a lot of the league's judgment judgments and procedures and i don't believe that it has advanced or improved much under roger goodell during his tenure mainly because of how the commissioner appoints himself judge jury and executioner when it comes to disciplinary disciplining players coaches or teams regardless of what the investigations find and he said instant replay rules are, are simply a joke he said, you would think that now with the eye in the sky, referees getting together for discussions and being able to communicate with New York, we will see them get caught or and we still see them get calls wrong. It's a joke. That's something that you just said earlier. He said, anyway. Excuse me, the one team per conference getting to buy and the seven seed getting in makes it a real exciting wild card weekend, which still may have some thrills in tonight's game. He said, but I'm just ready for some football. Uh, we, we kind of just talked about it before, and I think we talked about it uh, when this decision was made earlier this year, or in the offseason, I should say, that um, we expected this. They gave us an, an additional week of regular season football, and in doing so, we got an additional week of meaningful football. And I think that's the main thing that, that football fans kind of came away with. And now you add in this, this additional wild card team, and I think you make – that is a decision that the NFL was able to kind of juggle because it's a two-part decision because on one end, you guarantee that teams are going to go hard in a regular season because there's only one bye now. And I think on the other end, you have uh, a, a, a host of fans that, as you said before, they're going to get more invested in the season because regardless of where they end up, they're going to get to the postseason. And I think that's the main thing. You look at these seven seeds, and a lot of teams are saying, eh, well, they're they're just happy to be here. Um, I think that's it for football for now. We're just now out of the first hour, so we're getting into the second one. Vegas go tonight. They, they return to action tonight. They had the last two games, Edmonton and Calgary, postponed. Tonight's game against Pittsburgh at the Fortress. Matt, what do you expect? This is a measuring stick game for the Knights. I'm so tired of hearing that. Why are the why are the one why is the one, number one team in the Pacific constantly being put up against measuring stick games? And it seems like they fail in these games. I mean, it's not a coincidence that you even look at the line. The books don't even know. They're like, shoot. At this point, flip a coin because when I seen that, I see Pittsburgh and I see Golden Knights. Measuring stick game comes to mind first. As far as Okay, we're really going to see where this Knights team's at tonight. I mean, sure, you can have your games against Nashville, and th those are all good opponents, but you're going up against a big powerhouse of the Eastern Conference. You you only see this team probably once or twice a year. I think, one, the fans are going to travel. Yeah. And two, the Knights haven't played in about a week. Yep. 
this is either going to go really good or really bad, and we're going to know pretty quickly. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. How quickly were we going to know? I we're think- going to know more than or quicker than or faster than halfway through the first period. You know. Maybe not quite that quick, but I think by the time we get to the first intermission, we'll know. We'll know. And Ugh. if it's bad, I mean, maybe it's something like 2-0 at the end of the first intermission for Pittsburgh. If that's the case, we should know before the end of the first intermission. Even then, I mean, I, we say it like, yeah, you know, 2-0, you know, the Knights are going to be playing from behind. They are, but they are also one of the better third-period teams in the league. So Oddly enough. I mean – I can't sit here and say that if the Knights are down two goals going into the third period that they still can't come back because they've proven time and time again they can. But I think we, 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 we're going to learn a lot about this team tonight. And I think we're going to really, when we look at the big picture and we see, is this team really a playoff contender? If the Knights come out and they look sharp tonight against Pittsburgh, I may even reconsider my own opinion about that. Because if they come out and they, they play the way that we've been accustomed to seeing Vegas play historically, right. I might go, you know what? This team might actually be okay. But if they if they come out and they look flat, they don't look good, and Pittsburgh kind of just has their way with them, you, you're probably not going to want to hear what I, what I have to say after that. But I hit the panic button already twice this season, so I, I'm – Yeah. I'd I'm be – I there. Yeah. At least, let me rephrase that. Vegas fans aren't going to want to hear that after the game because they already don't like some of the stuff that you're saying. If they come out and they drop an egg tonight, it's going to be an I told you so game. Like, see, told you. You live for those games, don't you? I just sit back and laugh <laughs> at a certain point. And, it, and people think that I'm a hater. You know, we've addressed this before, too. Why, why when I point out something that I see, I'm the hater? Right. Why? Which is why, and again, I know we're not supposed to, like, venture off into these conversations, but I'm going to do it anyway. Which is why I have such a big issue with Tyler Bischoff when he says that he's trolling. I hate it. I hate it. Because, number one, you are a grown man. What are you trolling about? The second reason why I hate it. Is because he's misusing the word troll. He'll tweet out UNLV hasn't won a game in 736 days and then go on the radio show and say that he's trolling. So now when I'm interviewing coach and I give him that statistic, he's going to think I'm trolling. I'm deadly serious. Not a troll bone in my body. That's why I think it gets confusing when people are like, oh, you guys are just haters, you guys are just haters, you guys are just haters. I'm telling you a stat. For what it's worth, that's probably why me and Mike Hughes are as close as we are now because when he was covering, well, when we were covering the team, he didn't take anything personal. I'm saying what I see. So when it comes to the season being over and his, and at the time, his college career being over, we do an Instagram live with with him and Gabe, and I talked to him about to talk to both of them about going to school at a um, at a uh, or going to a basketball school and things of that nature. And Mike's response was, "I mean, it wasn't no pressure on us. It's not like they was winning." That's a good point. Fam, who's gonna get angry? He's right. Yeah, football's not winning, but neither is basketball. So we're here. 
Right. <laughs> like, I don't know what you guys want me to do. And I just hate that. And I know he's one of the bigger media members here in Vegas. And that troll word gets thrown a lot, around a lot. What he's doing is not trolling. And anybody should be leery and weary of a grown man saying that he's trolling. Just weird behavior. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I Let me go ahead and, and go on the record and say, I don't know about Matt. I'm sure Matt's going to jump in and say his, his exact same thing. I'm not trolling. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. So when we talk about these 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 teams and these stats, like you just said, we're calling it how we see it. And speaking of calling it how we see it, you guys aren't going to like this either, but let's run with it. The Knights, as of right now, are 23-14-2. They have 48 points. They're only three points up on the Anaheim Ducks, right? Interestingly enough, they're now three points up on two teams. They're also three. They're also now three points up on the L.A. Kings, a L.A. Kings team that this team has had problems with this season. So while Matt is sitting here telling you that this could be an I told you so game, this is what I will be able to tell you guys. While they are first in, in the Pacific Division still, Matt, they are now tied for 11th in the NHL in terms of best record. Now, we, when we originally started counting this, I believe they were tied for fourth. Then they were tied for sixth. Then they were tied for eighth. Now they're 11th. This is the trend of a team that's not going to make the postseason. Call it as we see it, like you just said. I mean, for me... Maybe it falls more so with the fans. I haven't seen it so much with the media, maybe a little bit here and there, but it, I think it more so falls on the fans. We've got to stop putting this team up on a pedestal and thinking they're invincible. I think it's the fans for sure. The media is, is very raw and rugged with it. Like, just let's let's stop that because I think a lot of fans are still on cloud nine from year one and thinking, I oh, this is, this is Vegas, you know, look at how good they're doing. Okay. I'll present to you an example of the St. Louis Blues. Mm. At the All-Star break, was it two or three years ago maybe? Yeah. They were dead last in the NHL. They were probably at the time thinking, well, maybe we get a good draft pick. Might want to go fishing. They come out of the All-Star break, they set the world on fire, and they're all of a sudden Stanley Cup champions in the same season. Who's to say that it can't happen to the Knights where they, they're playing well and then all of a sudden they start sliding themselves out of the playoff talk? Hmm. Because teams are, are getting better. They're, they're starting to catch the Knights. They're starting to figure this team out. The first couple seasons, you can make the argument, nobody really could figure out Vegas. Mm -hmm. I think the blueprint's out now. And you talked about it, too, and just in terms of the trade deadline coming up, and this team is going to have to find ways to make it work logistically and make it work on paper. Other teams aren't having that issue. Other teams are going to try to figure out who's going to push us over the top, who's going to give us that extra edge. And I think that's a, another disadvantage that the Knights are in currently that I think a lot of people aren't looking at because it's probably a couple of weeks in advance. But that, like, like you kind of already mentioned, it by the halfway point of this season, we'll know not only where the Knights are, obviously, because we'll be happy through the season, but we'll have a pretty good idea of where they're headed as well. Uh, I know where they're headed, at least for the rest of the week. They're staying home because on Thursday, Montreal will be – in town, not like they can go up to Montreal and play them, so nope. might as well have them come down to the Fortress, right? On Thursday, that is January 20th, puck drop is set for 7 p.m. If you want to go and attend tonight's game at the Fortress, at the T-Mobile Arena, that puck drop is scheduled for 7 p.m. as well. I think we're actually going to end the show with 
shit. Am I missing something? Nope. We're actually going to end the show with UNLV talk. I love it. So we're going to end, uh, end the show with UNLV talk, basketball talk. Um, by the way, Kevin Durant is going to miss four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. Um, let me see if I can pull this up because they have this quote, and of course it's not the full quote, but they have it in the headline. Where is Steve Nash? Yeah, okay. Steve Nash said, "Quote: We can't cry about it." I took a second here just to look at Matt because. If anybody can cry about it, it might be Steve Nash if that loses him the job. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, a sprained MCL is not going to lose him his job, whatever, whatever. True. But losing games over this four to six week stretch and falling out of the top four in the East will. Playing Kevin Durant the most most minutes that he's played two seasons removed from an Achilles injury, but the most seasons that he's played since his MVP season in 2013-14 Will, I'm just going to name the couple of things that will get Steve Nash fired from his job. So you're right. You can't cry about it. Because you did it. Ta-da. <laughs> Let's talk other basketball. Let's talk college basketball. It's, you know, I really don't think this. I, I, You know what's weird? And this is why I really hate when Tyler says trolling. Because when you say certain things that you just think just make the most sense in the world, people get upset at. It's like Steve Nash. Anybody who's running Kevin Durant into the ground, if it does not result in a championship. Is it really trolling or is it just pointing out the obvious? What are we, what are we doing here? I've watched Tom Thibodeau get fired from two pro from t- programs, from two franchises. For running players into the ground. Some say Luol Deng never recovered. Some say that was Joe Kim's best years. Some say he's the reason why. Der- Let's move on. I was just about to bring up Derrick Rose, but I'm glad we're he's not the up. reason why Derrick Rose did it. Derrick Rose had to learn how to land better, but yeah. people people are going to blame Tom Thibodeau yep. because of that. It's not his fault, but, I mean, when you have Derrick Rose, who already at the time didn't know how to land cleanly, playing 40-plus minutes of, of a 48-minute ball game, it's going to rely. We're, we're, we're going to look back at these stats, and we're going to come to you, and the answer falls on you. Right. And Steve Nash, sorry, but playing Kevin Durant 41 minutes is going to get us to look at you and scratch our heads. It's, it's just the, the, the law of the land. Um, So going back to some men's basketball really quick, I'll be honest, man. I was supposed to be off today. That's not funny. It's nothing. Nothing's funny about that. Because I looked at. I looked at the. First of all, I looked at my calendar and I said I don't have a game today. And I looked around and I was like, I just did a show Thursday and they said we had a game Monday. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, what game do I have today? So I go back and I search through through all the the, the schedules. I said, huh, would you look at that? And I'll tell you guys what I saw. I saw today that the UNLV running Rebels are in San Jose. And they're taking on the Spartans. And that game is going to take place at 6 o'clock, guys. So guess what? As soon as I get out of here, I'm running home to set up for that. 
Um, not like we have a, a Zoom to to worry about following the game. At least right now, I don't think we we have anything. I'm gonna ask. Now that I think about it, I'm gonna ask. Because Jared makes it extremely easy, like you said before, with the Lady Rebels. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to pick Kevin Kruger's brain after a after a road game. I don't I don't see a reason why not. Um, this is what I will say, and people aren't gonna like this. If you, in case you guys are wondering why this game is being played today, this is the game that is rescheduled from January 5th. And uh, originally, UNLV obviously wasn't supposed to play today. They were supposed to play tomorrow night against San Diego State. That game has been postponed. That's the third game this season so far that has been postponed. But the one thing I do know about UNLV, and, and this is what one of those questions that I would ask Kevin Kruger if it wasn't a road game, or if, uh, if it was set up, rather, for road games, and that has mainly to do with – this team away from home because I, I up until this game, this recent game against Fresno State, UNLV was seven and two at home, and their two losses came to number two in the country UCLA, and probably one or two top one or two finisher in the Mountain West San Diego State. Those were their only two home losses before losing to Fresno State this last uh, game, but the team is zero and two on the road. More importantly than that, their two road games were true road games were at SMU and at San Francisco. And now let's just keep having fun with it, guys. I'm not trolling you guys when I'm telling you guys that those games were not close. Matter of fact, let's see if I can pull it up really quick. But you have a UNLV team who have played who has played two games on the road, only two. But you have a team that hasn't been competitive on the road yet. And, and and let's do this. Let's go ahead and take those two games and combine them. You got 80 minutes. You got 80 minutes of ball game. And UNLV maybe played well for 20? Maybe that second half against San Francisco? That's like the only one that I have. So you look at these two games. And you lose at SMU 83 to 64. So you lose by 19, and then you think, oh, well, it can't get much worse when you go up to San Francisco, right? Until you realize that they're undefeated. Well, first of all, SMU was undefeated at home. But now you get to San Francisco, who's undefeated at home, in addition to being undefeated on the season. And they beat you by 21. Both games, like Matt has, has so eloquently pointed out a couple of times this season. This team is having struggles and issues getting to 65 points on the game. We've seen it even wins. This team is 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 barely getting over that mark against Cal. They didn't even come close. So you get a game finally against San Jose State. And you come into this game already 9-7 and seven on a year, 1-2 and two in the Mountain West Conference. Again, 0-2 away from the Thomas and Mack. Yet and still, you look at the, the Mountain West standings. And this is the part that I'm going to bring up what, what Jordan McCabe said at the uh, Roman main event. He mentioned that before the season, UNLV was picked seventh or eighth in the conference. I came in here 
last week, and I said at the time the team was 10th in the conference. The team is 7th now. And this is the part that's probably going to be a little upsetting. But I saw that number and I got a little confused. Because this team hasn't been playing all that much considering the COVID outbreak. But when this team has played, this team hasn't played all that well. So you get a team like San Jose next. San Jose has played in two less games than UNLV has. And while UNLV is one and two in the conference, at least they have their conference win, their first one under their belt at least. San Jose State is still looking for theirs. So you talk about it all the time in terms of measuring stick games and things of that nature, and I feel like a team like Sandy, like San Jose State, rather sitting at seven to seven, shouldn't be a measuring stick game. But I do think we're about eighty percent, eighty five percent sure that UNLV is going to win this game, right? I'd say that's fair. I sure do hope so. They have to win by double digits, right? I'd pump the brakes there, and that's the problem with this team. I'm not even sure they win by two possessions. Pause. We're going to get back to that. In previous years, and this is what I want to like throw out there, even in TJ Otzelberger years, at least we knew which games to already mark as Ws. And I've told you guys before, I don't think it's Kevin Kruger's fault. But as much as they've talked about being a bunch of guys from a bunch of different places coming together on one team, we may have to analyze that more and more as the season goes along. So you said you're not sure that they win by two possessions. No. As a person who's covering the game tonight, I think they will win by two possess- by at least two possessions, probably about three. Why don't you? For a few reasons. One... I don't believe San Jose's lost at home yet. They're six and two. At home? Yes. For some reason I was thinking they were undefeated at home. Six and two at home now. I will tell you those home losses. But you can go ahead, keep going. Well in any in any case, I mean they're they're still pretty good at home. And I say it all the time. UNLV, if you go back and you look historically, they usually have one, sometimes two games a year when it comes to men's basketball that they might win, but they don't look good. It can't be this game. Would it shock you, though, if it is? It would. It would. Considering that you just came off of a game where you had to play and defend Las Vegas native seven-foot Orlando Robinson – yeah, San Jose State is going to look a little different. And they should look a little different. If you play the same, this game isn't close. And I understand that Fresno State ran away with it late. UNLV played hard that game. One of the better games they played recently. Even in their wins. If they play that way, this game isn't close. Shouldn't be. 
I'm I'm thinking eleven. Would I make the point spread eleven? Absolutely not. It would be UNLV. Minus six and a half? You're close. What is it? It's eight. I would say six and a half. At Only because they're at home, and you're absolutely right. They've, they've lost their uh, two home games most recently. Uh, well, I guess their most recent one was rather on Saturday to Colorado State. But Colorado State is probably going to give everybody in this conference a, a, an issue. Um, <sighs> you want to give me anything else? Oh, let me go ahead and do this now. Uh, Sam Gordon tried to <laughs> tried to chew me out last home game for saying that I felt like Donovan Williams should be the number one option. Let me go ahead and say this then. I feel like it's easier for Donovan – or excuse me, it's easier for Bryce Williams – or Bryce Williams, why did I just put them together? It's easier for Bryce Hamilton to get his points off of Donovan Williams than the other way around. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is – Maybe I should have backed off of saying that he was a number, he should be the number one option. He should have the ball in his hands a lot more than he does. Let me say that. Me and some people may disagree. I think he's a better decision maker when you, a decision maker when he gets into the paint than Bryce is. I think Bryce gets to the paint. He's one dimensional. I think Bryce is actually going to shoot every time he gets to the paint. You have to worry about Donovan either getting to the and I, I'm not saying Bryce can't get to the free throw line, but you have to worry about Donovan either dunking on you. To the point to where now you have to foul him and you're sending him to the free throw line. He's not the best free throw shooter. Either he's kicking it out to the corner. And if Donovan Williams has the has the ball in his hand, nine times out of ten, the person he's kicking to in the corner is probably a point guard. I don't know, man. I'm not going to say. And for whatever it's worth, too, this is another reason why I think it needs to happen. Donovan Williams started the last game six points, two of three from the field. Ball went to Bryce Hamilton a little bit. And then when Bryce left the game and you needed to go to your number two scorer, he hadn't touched the ball in quite some time. And then he goes and he misses his next three shots. So I know when you look up and he has eight points and he's two of six from the field, it looks kind of crazy, me saying that he should have had the ball in his hands more until you realize he went about a good six minutes or so where the ball didn't touch his hands at all. I think Bryce can survive with not having the ball touch his hands and he'll still get his points around that. I'm not so sure that Donovan Williams can yet. And by the way, like I said before, if Bryce Hamilton is better than a lot of teams, best scores, he's guaranteed better than their number two scorer, Right. Y'all got it. Um, Once this game is complete, they will be headed to Air Force. They'll be headed to Colorado Springs to take on Air Force, and that game will take place on Thursday, January 20th at 6 p.m. Last one. Last one. Last one. This team is fun. This team is a lot of fun. And – we're obviously wrapping up this talk, or with the, with the show rather, by talking about the Lady Rebels, and we have about thirty minutes or so left, so we'll probably try to give you guys maybe ten or fifteen. Um, this Utah State game, um, me and Matt talked about it prior to the game, and we talked about it a little bit even about uh, San Jose State, knowing that that's their next game, and I'm kind of already moving ahead a little bit, but they had this game against Utah State, and we went ahead and looked at Utah State and. 
what their season has entailed so far, and they're one in seven or at the time, or one in seven away from home. From uh, Dean Smith's spectrum, I believe. Is it D Smith's spectrum? Apologize for that, but they're one in seven away from. Uh, I'm trying to learn every Mountain West home court and field, by the way. Um, so they're they're one in seven away from their home court, and they're zero and five in the conference. And then you make matters worse by saying that they've lost seven straight games, and now you have the Lady Rebels on your schedule. So it's obviously it wasn't. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't. Um, shaping up to be a, a, as close of a game for Utah State, considering that they were playing against a 12 and four UNLV team that was four and one in the Mountain West, but Utah State had it had a lead early. They had a lead early and they were up three to two. And the reason why I say that is because they were up for 12 seconds. They were up three to two for 12 seconds, and that was the only lead of the game. <laughs> It got real bad after that really quickly. But uh, UNLV's defense was pretty on point because through the first four minutes and 18 seconds or so of the ball game, they led 9-3. to three. But at that point, keep in mind, that's a 7-0 run by UNLV. So they're in the midst of a 7-0 run. But, at, but to that point, Utah State was 1 of 8 from the field and 1 of 6 from 3. Add three turnovers to, to go along with that. And then they come out of the turnover. I mean, they come out of the timeout and commit another turnover. So you're a little over four minutes into the game, and you have a team shooting one of eight from the field, one of six from three, and they have four turnovers. Not to mention, in those four turnovers, I think in their first five turnovers, they had two 10-second violations. We didn't get the chance to ask Lindy after the game, but we – I wanted to obviously pick her brain, and we usually ask Lindy about five or six questions after games, and I made it a point to leave this one off, but I paid attention to it. And if Utah State didn't make that run in the second quarter, which we're about to get to, I think this question would have come up. But I noticed from the start of this particular game, it was a little different in the sense of it was almost Cal State Bakersfield-ish where Cal State Bakersfield was a team, or is a team, rather, who struggles against the press and and struggles against any four-court traps. From the start of the game, Lindy hopped into it. This team is 5-10 and 10 on the year, was 5-10 and 10 on the year, 0-5 in the Mountain West, 1-7 away from home, and had lost seven straight. Lindy went into the press after the first made basket. And that's at least the third time this season that I've looked at a Lady Rebel game and said, oh, Lindy's trying to put her foot on her necks now. I get it. So the lead was as large as 12 in the first quarter and similar to almost every Lady Rebel game this season. Every Lady, every Lady Rebel win, I should say, this season. It's 12 in the first quarter. It got up to as much as 14 in the second quarter. Before, UNLV had some turnover issues of their own, and then you get a Utah State run. And you get the run that, that cuts the uh, deficit on their part to 7, 37-31 at halftime. We, after the game, we talked to senior Justice Etheridge uh, about when – and you guys are going to hear a little bit more about Justice, but – we um, talked to her after the game and kind of got her insight as to what that halftime speech was like. And she said a lot of it was just coming together as a group. She said that for a little bit, everybody kind of 
got a little discombobulated out there and forgot where they were and didn't know where they were and it showed and I thought it was it was very honest from from one of the team's seniors and and I need to actually triple check too that might be the team's only actually take that back Kayla is a senior um so one of the team's seniors and and you have somebody who knows this program and knows this program inside and out so we took the the opportunity to, to ask her in addition to that UNLV had 11 turnovers at one point in the uh, – or actually they had 11 turnovers in the first half. They committed eight of those in the second quarter when Utah State made their run. And, of course, we asked the senior point guard her her message to the team almost in these games where they have these big turnover margin – or big turnover numbers, but they're winning by such a large margin. And we, we both asked her kind of in these games – do you still try to pull the team to the side and say, these got to go away, though? We got to cut these down. And without hesitation, it's almost as if we were in the locker room with her. She said, absolutely. She said, that concerns me a lot. She said, because it may not look like it now, but that one turnover can be the difference. And then she said, later on in the season, that one turnover will be the difference. I don't know how many other ways your senior point guard is trying to tell the entire team to take care of the ball. So I understand that this team is looking great right now at 13-4, and 5-1 five and, five and one in the Mountain West, but their senior point guard is pointing to one area of, of, to clean up, and I think it's without question their turnover margin. They did come away with an 86-68 to win. They had three in double figures. Justice was one of those in double figures. She had a season-high 18 points. And similar to what head coach Lindy LaRock said after the game, that's their defensive stopper. That's the one who's always going to have the assignment of the other team's best player. And as she said before, if, if the offense comes along with it, the team will be in a lot better of a spot. Uh, not to mention, you, you get your, your typical forward tandem of Neko Obiazer and center, and both are sophomores, and then you get center Desiree Young, who both chip in with double figures. Neka actually at the team with 21 points. She scored 13 of her 21 points in the fourth quarter, pretty much put the game out of reach. The UNLV Lady Rebels led by as much as 25 points. We talked to Lindy LaRock after the game, and we talked about her getting the opportunity to play everybody in the game. And as she said before, especially in Mountain West play, it's very important to make sure everybody gets out on that, on that court. But she made it a point to emphasize that the only way that everybody gets out on the court is if everybody who starts the game on the court does their job and they do it well. So taking care of the ball is one of those things, and I think that's something that we're going to see this team attempt to do on Wednesday January 19th. Yes, that is this Wednesday. They are where the men will be. Well, they'll, they'll be where the men are right now, and they'll be at San Jose State. And, again, that game is scheduled for 6 p.m. Um, yeah, man, I'll be completely honest with you. We kind of run – we kind of blitzed through this show probably because my dad's tip-in came on the back end of the first hour. But uh, it appears that we're, we're pretty much done. We have some – some some more some more I's to dot and some more T's to cross, but uh, we're staying busy, and I like to think that as long as we're busy, that means we're doing something right, right? I think so, and it's a big week for UNLV athletics. Both men's and women's basketball got big weeks ahead of them. Men's got four games in a span of a week. So. I thought you were saying it was a big week because we have Taco Bell incentives for students. Don't forget that. I tried to. Oh. Um, but that's personal reasons. Anyway, my bad. Um, out of press, I would have liked to see them go with a little bit of a different incentive than Taco Bell. Anything, please, else aside from Taco Bell. Do you want to give college students Taco Bell at ten thirty in the morning? 
Like that's the other th- they're starting the tailgate at ten thirty. I'm like, who's eating Taco Bell at ten thirty in the morning? Who's up in Las Vegas at ten thirty in the morning? Not very many students. <laughs> very good point. Especially UNLV students, not UNLV students. How many zombies have you saw walk into camp walk into class? I mean, shoot, half the battle's getting to class. I and I was just getting ready to say, and Matt, I know you're you're probably not gonna want to answer this, but how many times have you been the zombie? Yeah, I don't want to answer that one. (laughs) Mm. Until next time, guys, keep on talking.